Good morning. All right. Um, so yeah, we, we got some crazies going on today. Who's this? We got some special friends oh my God. today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Or are you, or, or are you like us and we hate that? I don't want to be that person because I hate that stuff. I know this. it's too early to sidetrack, but I have a fun little story. So I was a radio DJ and I went through school for it, but you know, there's on the job training with like the DJ that was on so that we could do like a proper turnover on the air. Like, Oh, like I, I love being on the air, but this is your new DJ kind of thing. So <laughs> I could not for the life of me think of a good DJ name. And then as a joke, I was like, oh, DJ Fuego, haha, because like I'm Spanish and it's fire and it's Spanish or fire and I like fire. <laughs> it stuck. <laughs> By the time I got on the air, I was so awkward. She was like, so what's your favorite color? And I said, black. She's like, okay, so this is your new DJ. Oh my God. <laughs> and I proceeded to be DJ Fuego for two whole years. That's fantastic. So I everybody, this is so DJ much. Fuego. Yes, good morning. We have a special guest today, DJ Fuego. We stole her from Book Talk. Hello. Hi, I'm Angie. I'm 24 and I read everything under the romance umbrella, like whether it's dark romance, sports romance, cowboy romance, I don't care. If it's romance, I'm reading it. She's, she's going to vibe on the smutty books with us and she's going to smut it up. Yes. Most likely. Yeah. I love it. Except I... today is a little less smutty and a little more just tear out your Ouchie. soul. You um, literally, yeah. I wanted to die. So. <laughs> we, Angie and I commiserated in torturing Crystal today. You're welcome. She, yeah. she hasn't had a good one torture in a while. So we thought we'd put her through. I don't think, I think the last torture was the center to be honest. So yeah. it's been a good solid it's, month. Since it's been a good been run. Tortured. It's been a good yeah. run. We put you through it. Yeah. So, <laughs> Boy, did we do that. <laughs> what book were we covering this week? This is, oh, and this is a special and it's a super special special. And special. here we are. Special with a special guest. Boop, boop. Yeah. So the, today we read Still Beating by Jennifer Hartman. And we took, we took Crystal for a ride. I feel like that, that word doesn't really encompass the beat, the whole experience of what we went through, but no. I feel like. I feel like at this point we all we all trauma bonded over this book because we we took we took her on a journey. Take me on a journey. We're going on a trip in our favorite Yes, uh, Ariel, you're gonna make fun of me in about three seconds. Shocking. Oh, I'm not allowed to say that anymore. Why? Okay, so we had a for breakfast. Oh, okay. Well, we had I don't know a couple episodes where for some reason I think Crystal's favorite word was shocker. No, and you were so serious about saying the word shocker and then you did it with your hands and then you realized what you were doing afterwards. My, my brain, my awkward brain connected the word shocker to that thing that you're as a teenager, you used to do with your hands, like the shocker sign with your hands. Sign with your hands. Hang on. This Uh might be a little bit before my time. (laughs) That's right. I keep forgetting Andrew's much younger than this. What's the other no, word for it's, it? It's I just I, I'm more embarrassed that I don't want to say it and do it. It's more of that kind of situation <laughs> versus it's one of those things where like dumb teenage boys used to think they were cool because they'd put two in one and one in the other. Oh, when they were <laughs> going downtown, and, uh-huh. yeah, um, yeah, and they it, it was they would shock her by adding in the pinky. 
Oh, yeah. Tracks. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome yeah, to out. our yeah. sex lesson of the day. <laughs> faded into so, <laughs> when when she did that one day, and I was like, and then she goes, "I hated when they did that," and I was like, "They did that in this book?" And she was like, "Yeah." And buddy, what? I was like, I don't remember that. That's not what like, I was talking like, about. And she's like, Yeah, they electrocuted the, her. And I was like, That is not the, the what I just did. <laughs> That's not where I was going with that. Nope. What no, book I'm was that? Just, was that? Um, that was that was losers. Oh yeah, they used a the little electric yeah. wand thing. Yeah, which mm-hmm. so I. It was the yeah. Well, this book still beating hurt us. I think it hurt me. Mm-hmm. This book brought us Cora, who has a sister mandy and mandy has been with this man dean 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 we have problems with dean sorry we have problems with the name dean around here as do i yes we yeah we have long-standing problems with the name dean so Cora's sister mandy has been with dean for 15 years which they have an odd situation they don't live together they just recently got engaged after 15 years but they're finally about to get married. They're high Cora and Dean, yeah, they're high school sweethearts. Cora and Dean have had a tumultuous relationship since high school. They've been playing pranks on each other. They're mean to each other. They have like this, I wouldn't even call it a love-hate relationship. They just hate on each other. Yeah, it's um, like frenemies without the friends. But yeah. they have to be friendly because of Mandy. Exactly. It's a forced relationship that they end up just spewing hate at each other constantly. Cora, in her dislike for him, tries to not be around him as much as possible. So they're all celebrating their engagement and their upcoming nuptials. And they're at a bar and they go home. They offer her a ride. She's like, no, I'll get an Uber or whatever. And when she goes to leave, her wallet's gone. And she's been trying to call everyone. No one's answering. And finally, the only person left to call is Dean. And begrudgingly, she does call him for a ride. Dean answers, comes right over. And kidnapped they go. Yes, they are taken. This guy outside the bar sees them. And it's a weird scene that he is able to wrangle both of them and I knocks them out. Still don't understand the logistics of that. So they're in the car. He smashes the window and is strangling her with one arm and takes the butt of his gun with the other hand and whacks Dean over the head. Did you physically try to do this? Because I feel like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have my phone read things out loud to me, like the whole like swipe down to screen thing. Um, and because of that, I was able to like kind of visualize it a little bit better so like when they were pulled over of course they were arguing because that's all they do so they're already distracted he gets pulled over by this repair truck but he doesn't know that he thinks it's the cops right a blue flashing light behind them so they pull over so they pull over and she's like oh what did you do like they're just bickering back and forth right and then while they're bickering they get caught by surprise because somebody goes around to Cora's side and like Mm -hmm. smashes in the window smashes her window and I think that as they were smashing in the window, they like kept going with that and like started like doing like that, like smashing. That's the how they like 
took yeah. her right yeah exactly and then like they were and then trying the to other like, hand took him with and, the exactly yeah so she was trying to stay in the car using her legs to stay in and the she's car. just driving yeah and she was like just fucking go like just drive i got this i can like and he was like no trying to pull her back in and like she knew that if he were to hit the gas, she was still in a good place. But he didn't want to take that chance that him driving would rip her out of the car. Yeah. And I think that she was thinking like, well, I still have a good solid standing inside the car with my legs. So if he starts driving, he gets dragged and we can just like speed away. But yeah, he was like, I'm not fucking leaving you. And I'm like, you dumb mother. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was interesting. I. Yeah, we, we have an issue with Dean's. All I said was, my notes so, literally say, are all Dean's douches? Because literally, he was a douchebag <laughs> in the beginning. Well, in the beginning, yeah, he pretended like he was an idiot, and he was just kind of being a giant douche. And I would, yeah, I was like, oh, I, I, in the beginning, I was like, why did I not know that he was a dumb douche? Because in the blurb, it did not make it sound like it was such a contention between the two of them. Mm-hmm. It made it sound like, you know, it was just her, her almost brother-in-law. Like, it didn't make it sound like there was such a frenemies situation or an enemies situation. So I did not realize it was going to be, like, enemies to lover for funsies added in. Yeah, and my, um, yeah, my just, brain, too, like, in the beginning before, obviously, before everything else that ends up happening in the book and all the other shit we end up finding out, I was a little pissed. And I'm like, really? We're going to do a fiance of her sister and her. That's the book we're going down the route of right now. I was like, are you kidding me? Well, we did. Well, I think we just, I think the blurb said. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest that I didn't read. It was a while ago that we read the blurb. Well, and that's the thing. And so I was reading it. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I popped out and read the blurb and I was like, oh, okay. So it was fresh. So we're going to do, we're going to do fiance of the sister and then her really really that's i'm like a cheating See, i didn't really Are remember the this? blurb as much because we did well, this we put that on the wheel in what like march or april and i was like, like that mm. so i didn't read the blurb either but i added it to my tbr because i saw a quote on tiktok it was he places his hand over my heart while reaching for my own hand placing it against his with my hand to his chest and his to mine our heartbeats vibrating through his fingertips he whispers down at me saying and says, they're still beating. As long as they're beating, we're okay. Like, oh yeah, I was no, like, this whole book was so... Oof. I was like, okay, I'm reading that. Like that sounds, <laughs> that sounds really intense. I, I have to read it. Um, yeah, I didn't know how intense. I feel like I needed my my stuffy, my, my emotional support stuffy. So yeah. So Dean gets knocked out by the butt of the gun and then Cora does too. So then they both get knocked out. And when they wake up, they are chained to pipes in a basement across the room from each other. And they've obviously been taken. They've obviously been kidnapped, but they're alive. And we meet Earl. I had a visceral reaction to this, man. So so Earl, actually, Cora meets earlier on in the night outside of the bar. And she immediately clocks him as like a John Wayne Gacy type and, and... She's like, yeah, this guy's a fucking creep. And he's like, do you have a lighter? And she's like, no, I don't smoke. And she's like trying, she's just waiting for Dean to pick her up. And he's like, the vibes. like given the serial killer vibes just immediately. And rushes out for the first time ever to get closer to Dean. Yeah. I don't like um, the fact that he called her my pet or kitten. Yeah, so kitten we gave learn, me flashbacks. Yeah, we learn who Earl is. 
that he has done this many times, that he takes these people in pairs. It's always a man and a woman, a kitten and a doggy, and that they are his pets. My slight problem is that they spent all this time talking about how like out of shape kind of he was and how grotesque he was. And like, this man is physically able to lug around these couples and overpower them constantly. He obviously isn't in that poor of shape. So I think that they really leaned into the gross farmer stereotype because even though those guys are usually like beer guts, but they live in a farm. So obviously they so still they have to do, do the manual labor of keeping up the farm. So they, they do have some strength. It, and I mean, yeah. comparing him to John Wayne Gacy, John Wayne Gacy killed a lot of people. Yeah. So <laughs> hashtag uh, um, red herring. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, and this is when I started softening towards Dean a little bit, was in yeah. some of these moments. I but- think that the the way that they blame themselves for specific things that they both did, she blames herself for calling him up and mm-hmm. being there in the first place. And then he blames himself because he only takes people that are not together to force them to fall in love. Like right. he blames himself for being like, hell no, that's not my girl. He blames himself right. for not lying. And but it's funny- how it switches so fast because at first they're blaming each other and then Mm -hmm. it doesn't take long for them to I think that she even said that she was only blaming him at the beginning because that was her coping strategy that was her coping mechanism to shift the blame because that's all she knew so they spend the first week in misery where Cora spends her mornings being raped by Earl they spend the days being chained up and then they are only allowed a quick key break with a turkey sandwich and a glass of water when he comes home from work. It's like a clockwork schedule of that's how their first week goes. We don't get a lot of detail, thankfully, through that first week of all the stuff that occurs. It's mostly showing us how Dean is talking her through everything that's going on and kind of being a support system for her even though they're both dealing with that tragedy. Yeah, it it was nice to see, especially him making like the eye contact while everything was happening. I did have one quote throughout this, which kind of really puts Dean's thought process when Cora was saying, well, you're the lucky one because she's the one having to get raped all the time. And Mm -hmm. he goes, you know, the lucky one, I'm chained to a fucking wall in a psychopath's basement. At least you hold some kind of value. I am a dead man. So it's kind of really putting into perspective to her like I'm gonna die like he at least can still have it's have a really no, right. weird fucked up thing but he has no value to this man well and then you know other things happen but it just it so, was it was crazy yeah on the seventh day is when things change yeah um the morning of the seventh day Earl comes down and instead of going to Cora he unchains Dean and he's he has a gun and he holds him up by gun point And he tells him that basically it's his turn. It's part of his like weird, sick, twisted way of having these couples like that. That's weird. Yeah. (laughs) He he gets the, he like gets off on watching them get together. It's, it's crazy. And Dean is totally in the mentality of like, I would rather die than violate her. Mm -hmm. And Cora's like, no, we need to survive. You need to do whatever you need to do. 
they kind of help each other through it because neither one of them are able to really successfully do what he's asking but you know Cora doesn't want Dean to die you know Dean doesn't want to torture her even more and he starts rubbing the inside of her wrist because he can't just lock eyes on her and talk her through it really anymore because he's not across the room so it's like focused and he also is having a fucking crisis in his own brain so I don't even think he could physically look at her and feel okay with what he's doing exactly yeah so he was like focus on your heartbeat as long as you have that you're alive we're okay we're we're fighting kind of thing and that was the start of their I want to call it connection yeah and I did like prior to all this during that whole week that they were doing stuff they were playing 20 questions as well and this is where Cora learns why her boyfriend Brandon broke up with her Dean is like he was cheating on you and I made him break up with you Mm -hmm. and tell you that it was my fault because you already hated me and that like that was a huge like revelation I think that kind of really changed their relationship obviously they him having to have sex with her really changed their relationship but I think that that was like a big like a huge thing it allowed that connection to open yeah yeah exactly I think that's also that that's a really good point because yeah well their physical relationship was really screwy like from the get-go and even after they got out of the basement it was really fucked up their emotional collection started with just them talking and like just playing 20 questions and getting and their confessions and like their confessions because that's how they actually work through the 15 years of like bickering and basically trauma between their yeah yeah they were literally just there talking out their issues while also being forced to get raped and rape each other it was like a deep deep therapy like, yeah I feel like, like that, in that's some where, super fucked up way yeah I feel like that's where their relationship really started to solidify and, and she learned itself. that he actually really liked her in high school but as a dumb kid he didn't know how to articulate that and just kind of picked on her instead stupid. and that's what started this whole chain of events with them picking on each other as his lack of communication. I feel like the theme of our podcast lately has been men are dumb. Men are stupid. <laughs> I mean, Hartman does it exceptionally well because she's like, oh man. And then, okay, so the book is broken up into three parts and the second part is told from his perspective. So we get to see the flashback of him like 15 years ago when her family moves into the town and it's her first day at the school and Ugh. she walks into his class and he's like that's it that's the girl I'm gonna marry like that's that's the one yeah I, I hope she likes going to the the ocean because that's where we're gonna be vacation as a family and I'm like you are like 15 years old <laughs> and, and then so he puts a, a spider in her and shoe. then he puts a <laughs> Spider in her fucking shoe. I was like, yeah. so men are dumb. Yeah, it was just, it yeah. was, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so after her time with Dean is when the the flashbacks first started in the book. Yeah, we get the ten year. We get the ten year flashback um, first. Yep, the ten year flashback the was the first one, and it was the dog. Yeah, and how they rescued her family's dog. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so sweet. And then you get the one after that, which was the five years with the sleepover in that Victorian house. The break in. Yep. <laughs> All and pulling of it pranks just, on each other. There was and only... her pretending that she had an allergic reaction to something, so and him funny. thinking he Sorry. killed her. 
Oh my God. The only comment I had in this, and this was, I know that you both had a visceral hatred of Mandy. I also don't really like her, but I will say- We'll get to that. I I know, but there's, we'll get there. But there was one comment in this flashback that threw me and it was Mandy making comments about herself looking good. And she goes, well, at least I try. And I'm like, Oh, I hated Mandy the whole time. Yeah. I hated Mandy the whole time. She was, she was really, she was a really vapid and self-absorbed character. Mm -hmm. My issue was more so obviously later on, and I'm not going to defend Mandy, but I will give a benefit of the doubt of some things, other things completely unreasonable, but there was a couple things that I want to go over later on. I'll shut up about it because I'll keep going on forever. So the next portion, and this is where I'm going to have a little bit of a, I need you to bear with me for a second. I'm going to wreck our brains for a second. The next portion is the 16th day. So we went from the seventh day, the morning of the seventh day. And that was Dean's first rapey scene. And then the next, which by the way, he did not handle well. Nobody helped. No. Um, and then, so the next one was the 16th day. Okay. And at the beginning of the chapter of the 16th day, she is explaining what has transpired during the gap that we have missed. And she says, and I quote, that they have been alternating days since Dean's first day. And it has been Dean, Earl, Dean, Earl of who gets a turn to rape her in the morning. And so if you alternate that out correctly, that would be Dean on the seventh day, Earl on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. It would not make it Dean's day. She goes, well, Dean's had four times in total. And that would actually make it, Dean would have five times prior to the 16th day with all that adding. And then she goes, it's Dean's turn today on the 16th day, which with that math, it would be Earl's time. Mm -hmm. And even if it was fucked up and they messed up on the time and somehow it was the eighth day, it still would not add up to four times to get to Dean's day being the 16th. I think that- while yes this could have been an error on the author you know like with the timeline and that's what i was saying i don't know if it's them keeping track of days or or if it was an actual author error i think that also you know how you have unreliable narrators sometimes i feel like they're going through a trauma and like time is hard to tell that's what i meant like their inability to keep track Mm -hmm. of time in this tumultuous situation like i didn't know if that was showcasing to us her inability to keep track of like things that are going on and that was that little subtle thing or if it was legit somebody can't do math i mean i i can't even do math so honestly i don't blame her (laughs) so regardless now on the 16th day is now dean's turn oh Um, um i think we missed something so they get into a routine of like asking each other questions throughout the day like yeah she gets raped in the morning they have a turkey sandwich at night throughout the day they Mm -hmm. ask each other questions but before nighttime the only way she's able to sleep is if he sings her hey jude and the first night that he is forced to rape her he is so silent and she was like 
he he like couldn't cope and so she's like that was the worst fucking night like I couldn't sleep mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and she'd even like admit that to him for a while so Dean has his turn with her and Earl gets all worked up that he decides he gets a turn too and this is where Earl makes a mistake because he was not able to take his calculated days that he had made and he is in a haste to do what he wants to do before work and he rips off his belt and a little metal chunk of the teeth of his belt flies off and he didn't realize. Luckily, Dean is able to reach that piece and we have learned from that previous flashback he is able to pickpocket locks from the break-in. So he holds on to that little metal piece so that they can plan their escape and so since they're alternating days they have to wait two more days for the 18th day for dean's turn to implement their plan on the 18th day while he's (laughs) being forced to rape her he is secretly picking the lock that her hands are shackled to and They're hiding it so that she's holding them up so that he doesn't know. And so that they wait for him to leave the house or they wait long enough that he should have left the house for work until she can go upstairs and call for help because she can't get his locks open because she can't pick the locks like he can. And then so she goes upstairs to try to look around. She finds the calendar and learns that he's been doing this with so many other couples and that they usually only last about 22 days and she can see that our time was almost up like no wonder our rations have been getting lower and she goes to find the door and he grabs her neck from behind because just coincidentally the one day they tried to escape just happened to be a fucking holiday that he was not at work and it was thanksgiving so day 20 she is She's not in good shape. He was mad that she tried to escape. He kicked her repeatedly. He broke ribs. He threw her down the stairs into the cement floor. She hit her head good. Day 20, they know their time is almost up. They know the 22 days is there now because of her revelations. They know that their time is dwindling. And they're kind of at their wits end. They're kind of at a point of we're getting out or we'll die trying yeah and so now it's the 20th day it's dean's turn again and so when he gets uncuffed they know it's going to be their last time they can just feel it Mm -hmm. and it feels real and it feels like true and not forced like it's an actual connection between the two of them after this 20 days of them Like they're actually having sex with each other instead of him being forced. I don't know if it's like a commentary on men's usual thinking, but if you notice the rape doesn't end until either male partner comes. It was never about her pressure, obviously. And that's usually how like typical men think. It's like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. I came. So sex is done. Like, I think that him putting like forth the effort to like make her come as well that last time that was like, a seismic shift not only like the feelings and the vibes like they kind of felt like it was last time but but like him taking the time to make the effort to well he never wanted to put her 
brain in that position either. Right. It was only when she started to actually like feel that connection with him and he could feel her body responding to him because he would have never just like violated her that way and forced her to feel that way. Mm-hmm. So and if you remember, she didn't want to kiss him at first, but like he could not make himself do it unless right. she was distracting him. So he would distract her with the thing on the wrist. And then she would distract him with like kissing. Yeah. So after they do their thing, his brain just kind of snaps and he's like, he's not going to get chained up again. Yeah. And Cora can kind of see it and see that mind shift. So she just screams bloody murder to distract Earl for a second because she can just see it. And Earl's got the gun pointed at him. And she just knows that it was going to be like two seconds before he shot him. And that scream gave him that window to knock the gun away and start just attacking him. Hit out of Earl. They describe it later on that he literally, this dude had to be identified by his teeth. He beat ever loving shit out on good authority he beat the shit out of him because holy fuck i'm pretty sure like, dean said that he had like he bone fragments out. in his nails or yeah. in his fingertips yeah like. i mean he just he blacked out from just the pure anger of everything the situation and and he just like fucking went in which good it just it was it was a lot and like oh and i forgot we were we forgot to say the whole time while he was antagonizing them he was explaining how they were gonna die and mm-hmm. when they died they were go- he was going to feed them to his to dogs because that's what he had done to every other couple before oh. them just sorry little tidbit that we forgot so that's the end of part three i mean part, part one one i'm like part three part where one. are we skipping that's well, the end of part one okay so they they beat oh, him to death sorry. He, like, pulls him, and then, you know, once Dean comes back to himself, like, he he changed Cora, and then he's, like, watching intense so hard, he's, like, starting to bleed because he's trying to, like, get rid of all the blood and bone figments, and then they call the cops, and yeah, but, like, there's so and much. And they just walk out of the house hand in hand, shaking, and they're just standing there at the end of the road as everybody and their mother shows yeah, up. He's paparazzi, like everybody. It's just kind of um, like, so yeah. it's sucky because that's literally the least amount of reason you want to be a local celebrity. It's kind of a weird thing to like about a book, especially since this book does have these weird timeline issues, but that is the end of part one. But I will say this book has three parts and all the parts are like exactly a third mm-hmm. through each part. Yes, I and I had this too. weird, I had this weird, like, obsessive love about that. It fed my soul so well. That picture of them standing there hand in hand shaking, dirty and bloody, became a sensationalized news story across the whole nation and beyond. And part two switched to Dean's point of view, and it takes place two weeks after. This part (laughs) is where I really started to hate Mandy. Because absolutely, it just oh my god. What really got me is that okay, your fiance, sure, 
and your sister were taken by a serial killer. Like they, they're just gone, right? And you don't know where they are. They could be dead. And when he is trying to, this is jumping ahead a little bit and I'm sorry, but like when he is like breaking up with her, she goes, do you know what I was doing while you were thinking about my breaking up with me in that basement? I was putting up flyers for you. Yada, 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 yada for you. And I'm like, your sister was there. Are you kidding me? You're literally shaming this guy for one, some shit that he had no control over. But two, you are literally saying that the whole time that your sister was gone, you were only worried about your fiance. That is so shitty. Are you, are you listening to... Oh my God. And then she has the odd to tell her that she, the bad one, literally jump off a bridge. What is wrong with you? Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I have lots to say during that part too. <laughs> I will say before we super dive into part two, I just want to have this little comment because it was like on the this day, on the that day, all I had in my head was on the third day, God created the Remington action <laughs> rifle and, and so we could fight the dinosaurs. Oh my God. Yes. That's all I had in my head. And that's awful because these poor people were being tortured in a murder basement. Right. And I was Listen, like. Listen, I grew up Catholic, <laughs> so can... any kind of church joke, I lose like, my we mind. We fight the dinosaurs. <laughs> I only had one other quote from part one, and it was at the very beginning when Cora hates her regular name and literally all that Dean calls her is Corabelle. And she goes, Corabelle is the abomination my parents gave me because they already used the pretty normal name on their favorite child, which also goes to show like her thought process too for her whole family. I have a note about that. Oh boy. We wrote this down. Yes. So Cora's insecurity about being the least favorite and her realizing that they celebrated everything Mandy did because Cora always had her head screwed on right. It reminded me of In the Heights. There's this girl, Nina. She was always in the books, always doing things right, learning Spanish. Like she goes off to Stanford and comes back and realizes like damn like I was a big fish here but I was a really small fish there and I don't have a community or any of that but she has a song called ironically just breathe and I was just like oh damn that's like correlation because they ha correlation uh- <laughs> I know I was gonna say it and I was just like I'm just gonna stay silent right now <laughs> nope. intend all your puns so I was like damn that's such a parallel because they literally weren't worried about her because they didn't have to. But the way that that was perceived from her end is, holy shit, they don't fucking like me. Like, I'm not their favorite child. And it's so hard to see yourself in a fucking character. I was very self-sufficient. I did my work. I did what I needed to do. I went out and did my thing. Nobody had to worry about what I was doing. Nobody cared what I was doing. I just went out and did my thing. Nobody needed to know where I was. Whereas... My sister was rated very babied, varied, everything, every tiny little thing was an extreme moment. And it was explained to me, well, we didn't have to worry about you. You were fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you like- were able to handle everything by yourself. And yeah. Ariel, you know that I have the similar on my end too. Like I am the eldest child and it was the same. Like I was left pretty much alone to do whatever and shit with my brother he used to get everything. And I'm like, well, I want that. They're like, well, you can buy one. You have a job. I'm like, 
So you're going to hand down, my brother's dead now, so there's that, but it's fine. Sorry, just bring the mood in. But it's it's one of those things that like, it, the favoritism is, it's weird, especially between siblings. My mom treated me and my brother the same, but my dad did not. And then now as a parent myself, and I live at home with two kids, one isn't mine technically, but because of the trauma of growing up, we tried to treat the kids the exact same because like, you don't want the favoritism between kids because it. Case in point, it's so fucking shitty. Any kid at my house is treated the same. Yeah, I think it was particularly shitty when after she came back, she so obviously she needed her mom and she needed to talk yeah. to her mom, but she felt like she couldn't do that because she was like, well, Their I'm not connection. her favorite child. So and really and Mandy was obviously going through something too, and she needed it more. So part two opens oh, up baby. basically with them being forced to be at a family dinner together. And Cora's obviously still struggling. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's shaking while she's preparing stuff. Her face is gaunt. She's clearly not sleeping. She's skin and bones. She's not doing great. Dean has not been coping. He's not been sleeping. All he's been doing is drinking. It. Mandy's just basically inserting herself and forcing him along the way. She's trying to make but everything be normal, like pre- right. She's not understanding that they went through something. They're just, they're back now. So everything's the same. They are both trying to get back to normal, but that normal is gone. Like that will never happen again. And that's just something that you don't really understand. And so like you understand, like you don't know what you don't know. But it's just so frustrating to me because I get that that was Mandy's coping mechanism, but it's not about you. No, like she was making it about and she's that's like, the well, problem with like being have... raised like that, where everything exactly. is celebrated because mm -hmm. you grow up with a false sense of like self. It like... still has that mentality of mm -hmm. the world revolves around her because that's how she was it raised. Was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it like sucks because it, she, Mandy at heart, not a bad person, but, and she did a lot she of growing. She could in have the, book. the potential. She had, she definitely had all the origins to be the villain in the story. And for a little oh. while she was. And, but I, I do think that Hartman did a really good job at character development all around, not just with the main characters, but also with the side characters too. Mandy. Yeah. And then she drops the bomb at fucking dinner. About Cora being having had a baby or and lost and Dean had no idea. I was so livid because I was so mad. How I was like, "Dare you?" I was over here. Now I already didn't like Mandy, but this was the start of my. That's why Vendetta? I was like, "Yeah, this." Well, this was the start of my. We read Luna Mare a few weeks ago, and there's this side character in Luna Mare called Zara, and Zara is oh supposed to be the main character's best friend. But Sarah. because the main character broke up with her brother, even though they've been best friends for like their whole lives, she broke up with a brother and now she treats her like she's enemy number one and is so mean to her and so nasty to her. And I went on this huge Zara rant about how Zara can just lay in a ditch and die or something like that. And so as far as I was concerned at this moment, Mandy can go lay in the fucking ditch with Zara. And that yes, was, that was where I was so with Mandy. extremely personal. So um, they go to this family dinner. The only reason Dean agreed to show up was because Mandy said that Cora wasn't going to be there. And then he shows up and she walks in through the kitchen door and he's like, what the fuck? Why, what is she doing here? And then Mandy just kind of shrugs and goes, Oh, she changed her mind last minute. Like, Oh, well, 
And she's like, okay, so now they're in this super awkward. It was almost like-, like Mandy was trying to prove that they didn't have a connection because the media was trying to create like a sweetheart connection with them because of the the sweetheart killer kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, so also Earl was dubbed the matchmaker because yep. this like that's when his story came out about like this is what he did he took two people who because he kept journals like, no and everything ro- yeah he had no rom- they had no romantic connection but he kind of got off on forcing them to fall in love and then killing them and like watching their Once lovers they suffer loved each other mm-hmm. yeah watching them die that's what he got off on and so and like, he kept journals depicting that so that they they knew everything and souvenirs yeah so it was I, I feel like it was almost her kind of taunting way of trying to make sure that there wasn't a connection with them. It was her like insecure way of this is mine. As a woman, that's just something so personal, especially because you don't know the whole story up until part three, Mandy had no idea that they were forced to do things to each other. He, they just said we were forced to do some fucked up shit and like you would never understand and left it at that. And she should have left it at that. It's such a personal thing for someone to drop that bomb. And especially after the whole situation of them being in the basement with the very real possibility that this could have been that dude's baby. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that you're going to bring this up. And and not knowing if it was Earl's or Dean's. Now we're having Dean's trauma of now Dean doesn't know. Right. So it's so shitty to drop at a fucking family dinner and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? She's already dealing with all this other trauma and you're going to add that more trauma onto this thing because you want to insert yourself into a fucking situation and be a shitty human. You're also now very publicly saying my baby sister was raped repeatedly by a serial killer. Well, jokes on Mandy because Mandy <laughs> created this trauma and what caused Cora to be all upset which caused a visceral reaction to Dean that needed to go comfort her and make her feel better so that even though they had been avoiding each other for the past couple weeks since they had been back because they didn't really know how to react around one another now they're in each other's face trying to find comfort with one another again so sucks to be you Mandy yes you fucked up Uh Mandy fucked around Mandy found out yeah the Christmas gift too was just so so yeah so then we had the flashback of Christmas this was the first part of Dean having flashbacks and then we had the present so he got her this locket and inside was like in your pocket taking this one (laughs) we should probably mention you know how he rubbed her wrist in part one to distract her so in part two he realizes that she's been scratching that every time she gets nervous to the point where it gets like super raw and irritated like she draws like it's super bad so he gets her this locket she's trying to, to recreate that yeah to remind her it's another source of comfort but she starts scratching and then she stops and she goes for the locket instead so he's trying to give her a healthier coping mechanism because he is always trying to do what's best for her regardless of how much it hurts yeah the inscription inside of the locket was so sweet i just it was such a good gift it said still beating which is the name of the book i want to say i understand the concept of the book I understand the little nuances I do think that the author went 
just a little touch too far trying to incorporate the word beating in so many places throughout the book that it, it worked but I feel like there were a few instances where I was like that was in there just to because that's the title of the book especially in the first third of the book I feel like I didn't notice it that very much because like, Ariel's psychotic so she notices so many things it I didn't bother problems. me either I, I it also didn't bother me I thought it was in the right spots at the right time I didn't catch it being too the much. second and third it was it was just that first third that it was a little there were just a few where I was like it felt a little name droppy but okay yeah so I feel I am not super invested at the beginning of the book anyway so I start noticing more things towards the end because like gotcha. at that point I'm emotionally invested as well. Not just like, I think that might've been my problem because I wasn't invested enough. I noticed that I was like, Oh, why are we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of opposite. <laughs> so the next note that I have is about it, the dog, the new year's party. Oh, no. wait, no. Um, so we, we were talking about the first flashback, which where is he, the, she the, gave the, Christmas. Him the book for Christmas. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's important we bring this up because of what happens in part three. But she gives them a copy of, of Mice and Men, except that all the pages inside are blank because he, they have this running joke where he pretends to be he's stupid and she's an English teacher. So he, he pretends to be stupid on purpose. So she gets him a blank copy of, of Mice and Men and he opens it. He's like, the pages are blank. He's like, I didn't think you'd notice. <laughs> so she then goes and gets him an actual copy of the book. And Mandy's all like, we'll just donate that. And he's like, no, I want to read it. No, I'm actually going to read it, which does, as Angie said, it does kind of foreshadow a little bit Show. later on. Yeah. Ugh. So they have a New Year's party where once again, Mandy is starting shit and setting up Cora with a man because she thinks Cora needs to get laid. Yeah, sure. Like, I was repeatedly I, raped for three straight uh, weeks, and yet I need to get laid now. Cool story, bro. <laughs> Dean just had to sit there and witness and be part of Cora's awfulness, and he just can't sit there and stand by where she's visibly uncomfortable, but she is timid at this point, and she's just so secluded into herself, and he's just not going to just stand by and let... Mandy and just sit there and even with all the points of contention between Cora and Mandy she's still like that's my sister she's probably just wants what's best for me maybe I do need to get back out there so she's obviously uncomfortable right. in this situation but she goes out and she tries anyway even though she really but Dean's really, like really no does not want to and so he sees that like uncomfortableness he's like absolutely not you never have to be uncomfortable a day in your life if you don't want to <laughs> Yep. He is like, no. And then Mandy just doesn't get it. She's like, I don't understand. Like, what are you? And he's like, no. He's like, she's not interested. You should just go. So Cora takes him upstairs to the, the bedroom and she's like, what the fuck? Can you mind your business? And he's like, I was just trying to protect you. Why are you? And then Mandy walks in and she is like, what's going on here? Oh, Mandy. I hate fucking Mandy. So we had more flashbacks going on. And this was the flashback of them in high school. Yeah, she first walks into, ironically, it was the guy that she lost her virginity to. It was his class that she first walked into. And she was like, oh, you know, this is your new student. But and in his head, all he's thinking is, yep, that woman's going to have my children. I am going to marry. That is what an angel looks like. They exist. And that's what they look like. Cool. 
cool, 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 cool. And he's just sitting there planning out their lives while she's just like, my name's Cora, not Cora Bell. Don't look at me. <laughs> I will say throughout this whole book and her telling him not to call her that, even through them finding each other and creating something together, almost made me feral how much he continued to call her Corabel. So you know how when characters give the love interest their own special little nickname, everybody called her Cora and he wanted to be different. So he called her Corabel. I get it. I mean, that's the first name he heard that was attached to his angel. But she told him repeatedly, even while they were trying to create a relationship together, to stop calling her that. I wonder if in his own fucked up little head, because she had a visceral reaction because of her parents. So I'm wondering if he was trying to change, like, the way she felt about the way her name. she thought about her name. And sure, but that's not his. I know. I'm just saying. Life. I'm just saying. In defense of Dean, maybe I see, he was I trying. See both sides, I can understand where he's coming from. I'm just saying, I don't like it. Well, he, we I already established he's a yeah. man, so he's already dumb. I hate when people continue to call people things when they go out of their way to say stop. So, my name is Ariel, and obviously, hi, hi, it's me, hi, Anna it's me. But my entire life. I'm just over it now. I'm not going to sound over it in a minute, but my entire life, even to this day, 99% of people call me Ariel, like the little mermaid. And that's fine. I guess if you're one of the people that I go out of my way to be like, actually it's Ariel, like the three letters R E L or like Sebastian says it, or like, you know what I mean? Like this. And then you continue to do it. I don't know. It's just, like, you don't put any effort into trying. Like, you why? You just had like, some why? name trauma. That's all. As a person who has to go by her last name for her job, I have both my paternal and maternal because I'm Hispanic and that's just what we do. But the full name tag is like, and I just like, okay, if you want to go by your that's fine. But just don't continue to butcher it after I've explained it. But find a nickname. Find a nickname that you say consistently correct every single time. That's fine. Or ask. Ask. Yeah. Like most people don't mind if you're like, how do you say that correctly? So yeah, the name thing, boundaries. I get it. I see it. I see it from both sides. He wants to be different and he wants to like help her through the trauma of her name. But she repeatedly told him, stop calling me this. Set up hard boundaries. But respect her boundaries. Yeah. He kept crossing that line. Or have a conversation about it. I will say that I feel like that was just also part of their dynamic. He knew it got under her skin. And for 15 years, that was their job. Like they they got right. Especially when you look at the epilogue. Yeah. Oh, yes. But our beloved fucking Mandy flows through again with her New Year's didn't pan out for her. So she forces Cora again on a double date. Now she can't get out of it now she can't have anyone ride in and save her she keeps putting her in these situations and taking him along for the ride and inadvertently pushing them together because on one side I feel like it's her insecurity trying to be like nope everything's hunky-dory there's nothing between the two of them where everything's the same and look she's dating and putting everything in everyone's face but it's it's backfiring. Yeah. 
And then, and yeah, the dog thing broke my soul. Oh my god! Okay, so they rescue this dog. I don't know how. Like a few years later, she crosses a highway to save this dog, and because it's in the Midwest and it's always cold, of course they were in the middle of a fucking blizzard when she decides to cross this highway. So they rescue this dog, and she decides to call him Blizzard. Now this dog has been in the family for like ten years now at this point, and oh my god. It's just so heartbreaking. It was something they rescued together and mm-hmm. they have a connection with him together. And the dog and, has a seizure and it's so sad. And, and Thor so calls Dean because Dean loves this dog too. And Dean comes a-running. Even though they hadn't spoken for a week, she immediately calls him. She's like, it's Blizzard. She's like, I'm sorry. I know you're at work. I didn't mean to interrupt. And he's like, nope, I'm the one my shift. I'll be there in 20. Immediately drops everything. <sighs> so... They have their moment with Blizzard. They say goodbye to Blizzard. It's Blizzard's time to go. They go back to her They have their connection. She just can't handle life. And he ends up holding her all night long and helps her sleep. And then we have another flashback. It's kind of between the double date, the Blizzard, his night with Cora, the flashback of relationship with Mandy. Dean is kind of realizing that he's been complacent for a long time. I mean, they've been together for 15 years. They don't even live together. And he doesn't feel that spark. It's just been comfortable. And now that he's realizing how he feels connected and near Cora, he's realizing that there's something missing in his relationship with Mandy. And he's having all these feelings and he realizes it's not fair to Mandy. And he really needs to think about things and his life and so in order to do so he needs to break up with her and while he's healing mandy was so hell-bent on this is because of cora Mm -hmm. and he is later like no when you're stuck in the basement thinking you're about to die every single moment every single day it causes you to do a little self-reflection right (laughs) and and so while he's breaking up with her he's kind of trying to explain this to her and she's basically oh yeah well you were self-reflecting thinking about breaking up with me in a basement i was out searching for you and making flyers like she goes you, you want to know what I was doing while you were down in that basement thinking about how much we don't fit and bonding with my sister? Yeah, yeah, being forced to rape her, that's bonding, Mandy. I was making flyers, leading search parties, out on the phone with the police, friends, relatives, with your mortgage company, utility providers, letting them know your payments might be late, with wedding coordinators. I was driving around town looking for your car. I didn't eat, I didn't sleep. All I did was cry and look for you, praying for you to be okay, picturing you at the end of that aisle. Wasn't your sister supposed to be your maid of honor, you slimy bitch? Dude, the fact that she turned their trauma into her own shit is uh, not about She's one you. of those people I hate that can always take a situation and turn it into their problem. Listen, I know that you're going through this, but you going through it affects me negatively. And just know I did all this stuff for you. So like, can you just kind of get your shit together? And like, you crying is making me really feel emotional right now. And I need you to care about that. Her own parents were like, our daughter was taken and repeatedly raped. They realized like, yes, that, that is a trauma for parents to go through. I couldn't protect my child and they went through this thing. That is such a greater trauma than whatever the fuck that was. But the, even them, they were like, they, we didn't see them deal with that at all. 
on page. Like I did feel like just, we were missing a lot of those conversations. They were just like, nope, we're just team daughters. We are here for you. We are a support system. They present. I know that Cora avoided friends. them a lot, but I feel like we were missing a lot of those. I almost wish we got those scenes in the hospital when they Me came. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I feel like that was such a big part, but I also feel that was intentional because it was such a contrasting behavior to what Mandy was doing. Right. I feel like it almost helped to villainize Mandy even more. But I would have liked to see how she responded at the hospital, seeing the two of them there. Yeah, we missed some perspectives that I think would have added to the story. Uh, granted, they would probably mm-hmm. destroy me even further, but it would be nice to have. So on a side note with that, I don't know if you guys read all the little bits in the back. But not not to like, I don't think this is getting too far ahead, but this book was not written originally as it is. It was originally written to be this little tiny short. So it wasn't meant to be this emotional deep thing. Like we were talking about Ice Planet Barbarians. It's not that deep. It was supposed to be something similar to that where it's not that deep. And it just kept rolling and evolving. And I feel like maybe if she had gone in with the intention of creating an entire story, an entire world, maybe we would have gotten those pieces. Yeah, I I wonder if like how much that played a part into her subdividing the book into these three perfect parts. So after he breaks up with Mandy, he visits Cora and finds out that she has adopted Earl's dogs that were threatened to eat them. (laughs) And now (laughs) she has Jude and Penny Lane. And apparently it's like he's malnourished and not taken care of well they're sweet and there's a bonded pair that won't leave each other's side and it's almost like they've bonded in a way that his victims have in these weird and i think it was so funny that it's like earl painted a picture of these like bloodhounds like they're gonna eat your and and then a full pack of them it it turns out this yorkshire terrier (laughs) well yorkie this yappy little thing like oh you yep. get eaten by a Yorkie. I mean, a Yorkie could eat you, but you know, that's not. <laughs> I think the funniest part was when she tells him that she adopted, she starts the conversation by texting him going, I did a thing. But it does tie back to before she was getting kidnapped, she had yes. plans to adopt two dogs. She was already had appointments to meet two dogs to decide between. And that was kind of like a little running joke with him. He's like, you wouldn't have been able to decide. You would have taken them both home. Mm-hmm. And then she says, I guess you're right about me getting two dogs. Yeah. Well, two serial killer dogs, you know. Yeah, but they're cute. That, you know, prefer the taste of human bones. I don't think he actually fed them humans. He was a psycho. He probably did. They were severely malnourished. They weren't fed properly. Yeah, but if they were malnourished, they did did not eat the people then. You got to think every 22 days. Yeah, every 22 days. Yeah. Fine. And he probably dressed. I just want to pretend that the dogs didn't eat the people. Everything else in this book was so sad and depressing. I just want to live in that fantasy world. I had to read a happy book after this. Everyone else can know the truth. But (laughs) I... A part of me is inclined to live in that world with you because in part three, when she's down for the count, they don't run to try and eat her right away. They're like genuinely concerned about her well, like yapping and like- I feel like dogs can be a part of their environment too because mm-hmm. they had an instant connection with them. I feel like they remembered their scent from the house. 
they could feel their their feelings and their terror. They had an instant connection with them. So now these dogs are in a safe home. They're being taken care of. They're not necessarily going to be like, ooh, humans, let's eat. They're being taken care of. They're being loved. I also think this scene was so well done because she texted him about it. And then he's like, what the fuck? I'm coming over. I need to make sure it's okay. And that's a really good segue into them talking because this is right after he broke up with Mandy. And, and he, her she, he did not know that she hadn't yeah, known she was, or talked to her. She yeah. was like, he was, she was supposed to come for like Ugh. dinner or something and she never showed up. And then that's when they got She's like, I guess that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And then she freaks out because she's like, what the fuck? You broke up with her 15 years down the drain. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Because she doesn't want to create tension in the yeah. world. She doesn't want to create more struggle for her family and the people around her. And she doesn't want to be the cause of any of it. And I feel that was super hard to read because I'm also very non-confrontational. And that's who she is at her core or who she used to be before she like healed. But she's very much like, I don't care what's going on between us. You need to go fix this. Like you literally spent 15 years and you're throwing that away for what? Like. For me, don't, you know, yeah, no. Yeah. And he um, he was trying to explain that to her. It's not about you. It's about me. Yeah. And then this is where he realizes he didn't break up with her because he was in love with Cora. He broke up with Mandy because of himself. He realized he was complacent. They weren't in it together anymore. It wasn't fair to either of them. He broke up with her. But because of this conversation where she's like, I literally hate myself why would you do this and he holds her and comforts her and he's like i've got you always and then in his head he's like she can pretend to hate me if it diminishes even a fraction of her pain she can fucking pretend all she wants but i know it's love it has to be because if this isn't love then i'm certain it does not exist that was part of his struggle and his war because what he's feeling and what he's starting to develop with core is not even coming close to what he's had over the last 15 years so he's like I know that that's not what I've had. So now he's confused and now he's struggling and he doesn't know what is trauma and what is real. And he really needs to do some soul searching. And that's why it wasn't necessarily about Cora, the breakup. It was more of him needing to figure his own stuff out, which leads him to visiting his mom in the nursing home. (laughs) Which also, I feel like we need to talk about like his parentage a little bit because her parents also helped raise this kid because his dad died when he are was like younger. a second parent for him and, because and they've they, been was, basically his second yeah. parents since the end of high school yeah he was always there and they loved this kid that was another really cool thing that I was like yeah her parents aren't perfect obviously I mean have you seen Mandy but the way that they said like no we hurt for Mandy but we hurt for you and we hurt for him too and that's why I feel like I- we really missed out as a reader on not getting more of those parent conversations yes. and perspectives. I have one quote. It really and truly broke my soul a lot. Oh, his mother is in a nursing home and she has, is it Alzheimer's? Yes. I feel like that's important to mention because I feel like a big reason why Dean opens up is because he feels like he needs to talk about it, but he doesn't necessarily want to burden anybody. So he's mm-hmm. going to his ill Like he doesn't even who, fully open up to his therapist. Yeah. He never tells his therapist that he was forced to do the things that are the things that are truly fucking him up. But he goes to his mom. He knows that 
maybe there's a part of her that is not going to understand it anyway because she wasn't lucid most of the time. Oh my so God. he felt safe enough in, in her illness to open up to her because he didn't feel like he would burden her because of her illness. And his mom, after he tells her all of this story, and this is the part that broke me, is she goes, every love story is worth writing, no matter how messy it might be. I would like to read your book. And that's when it kind of clicked for him too, that she's understanding what he's saying and she knows that it's Dean. And I On some level. I She's able to connect the emotions, whether she yeah, knows it's him or not. I wanted to die. It was so heartbreaking, but I loved seeing that scene with his mom. It just, my soul was dead. And he, then it got even more dead. So it's fine. Yeah. Well, no, I think that that's when my heart started breaking during that scene. But I feel like the nail in the coffin is bringing into light that a lot of elderly people that are stuck in these homes, they don't get a lot of visitors. And it was very difficult for him to visit with her. So he only visited once a year. And when she says, I had a terrible nightmare once, it was a lot different than yours. I was all alone. And then he waits for her to continue. And then he, she doesn't. And he was like, oh shit, I'm making her live her worst nightmare because I never visit her. She's all yeah. alone. And then she's like, yep, no, I'm definitely going to come and see her more often. Even though she doesn't know who I am, I can still keep her company. Yep, because then he realizes from her perspective, at least we had each other in that basement, but she has nobody here. And it just broke yeah. my heart. Ugh, it's so all, and this it book sadder. has a lot of different <laughs> perspectives and different viewpoints of like, the different ways that different traumas affect people and how, yes, this might be awful for you, but somebody else has an awful too. And that's okay. So yeah. he's reeling from this visit with his mom and he just kind of goes home so emotional. And before we get to the power outage next part, I just want to say, it's just something I forgot to say before the whole breakup thing with Mandy and she forced that double date on them. She took them on a double date back to the bar that they were kidnapped from. What is wrong with her? A like, lot. I just hated her so much. And then she had the gall to be offended. Like, yeah, that they didn't want to be there. So, sorry, I just forgot okay. that little you're part. Okay, okay. I was like, so. I, but when he breaks up with her, it's kind of a turning point for him because he realizes he needs to get his shit together. And he, up until this point has been drinking to cope. He has been drinking every single day. Yep. Like that's the only way he can get to sleep sometimes. And unless he's sleeping with Cora, but that's neither here nor there. Like he stops drinking. We and mean then, literally sleeping. Yes. 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 Um, but she takes them not only to the place where they got kidnapped, but that shit is a bar. To a basically recovering alcoholic. And at this mm -hmm. point. Who's been, been working for weeks. Yeah. Trying to like get his shit together and cope. And yeah. And so like he. She shows. And he's basically like, like now I'm going to smoke because I need something. Yeah. And he got so drunk that night that he decides. Well. I could just sleep right outside this bar in this patch of grass. That's it doesn't fine. matter. Like at least it's not a random basement like that. I feel like that was his like. I, that was his rock bottom, I think, in that, not necessarily his rock bottom, but his rock bottom of that drinking. Yeah. Because he had taken that break and then he hit that. And then that was his clarity because he had been thinking about all that stuff. And then he woke up with Mandy like hovering over him and he was like, no, I can't do this anymore. Dean was reeling from his mom's visit. He went home and all of a sudden the power went out. 
And at first he was like, oh shit. But then he was like, oh shit. Because he knows that Cora's been barely hanging on and barely coping. And one of the ways she's been coping is keeping all the lights on. Because it was so dark in the basement. And he is like, oh shit. Like, he's texting her, is your power out too? She says yes. And he doesn't even stop to consider the fact that she's trying to text him and be like, no, you don't need to come. And he's already on his way. So he goes to her house. They're together. And then in the morning, she freaks the fuck out. And Well, she just has so much weight on her. She's not coping. She's not she's letting also herself like not prioritizing herself because she feels so she, I was fucking say she's guilty. not letting herself process any of her own trauma and she's letting everyone else's feelings around her suffocate her. So now she, in her mind, she slept with her sister's man, um, even though they had they, already broken up and they did it willingly without a gun at this yeah. point in time. And she is just distraught. She is wrecked. She just can't handle it and he leaves they kind of have a little bit of a tiff about it um because he he just can't handle he's like i don't see you stop like you need to just let you be you and not and he leaves i think this is also one of those points where i wish we had dual pov for this chapter because i think right now we're still inside his head and he wakes up feeling like stars have aligned this is what i want to do this is completely right like it's going to be hard, but we can absolutely work through this. Like this is Because now I the way she's her. responded had made him feel like she, he pressured her and forced yeah. her. But and- like when they first woke up and he's like, I can tell that she's awake and trying to pretend to be asleep because mm-hmm. I know when he's, he's awake like, now. Like, and, he, and he's over here like, oh, everything's like, magical. I've seen the light. I see where we end up. Like this is fine. And then everything she was earth shattering and we are together out. now. Yeah, yeah, and he gets super butthurt about the fact that because she's well, like, he had all those feelings, and-, and she's very lightly trying to brush him off. Like, yep, I've got errands today, so I should probably get around to those. And he's like, "We just had earth-shattering sex, so we're not going to talk about this." And she's like, "I have to go buy dog food." Yep, that's what I have to do <laughs> yeah. today. And yeah. this starts the point of her using him for sex and then just pushing him away afterwards. But and- that wasn't this moment. But yeah, no, I know, but it kind of foreshadows the point where she's gonna start doing that is what i'm saying it it does set the president because at night like she was 100 percent in it and she wasn't for once she wasn't in her own head about everything she was just present and she was able to sleep and then she feels guilty about that too like that she took enjoyment out of this and she took pleasure out of this and the only time she was able to actually sleep and not have like a nightmare and then you know and but it was at the expense of her sister and blah blah and she's just feeling a super sort of way. So yeah. they part ways. And the um, next and time it's here- not pretty. He um they have a really big ugly fight about it and mm-hmm. they realize that they weren't safe and he like throws money down on the bed and he's like here for the pill. Like oh, yes. it's because well not... she did instigate it a little bit and then that was his oh, 100%. It was yeah, a, no, she... but obviously a shitty response. Yeah, it got, it got it got it got bad. Know. It got yeah. bad. So um I feel like this is where uh, the Of Mice and Men thing comes back into play uh, because he leaves her house and they go their separate ways. She runs errands. And um, then later on in the day, he texts her and says, like, you know, that All I don't want to fight stuff. with you. Yeah. Like, 
we, and she we, doesn't answer him. Last night was everything, yada, yada, yeah. yada. And then, but later then she on, calls him, slurring her words, not really making sense, just yammering on about how he's, he's a lion. lion in the story and she's a mouse and everyone is going to eat the mouse alive. And yeah, and it really brings it back to that kind of of mice and theme men thing yeah yeah he has no idea what she's talking about but he but freaks she, out he has a, a bit bad because, feeling yeah he just feels something like, is wrong and he goes to her and she because at first is... he just thought she was drunk yeah but then and... he just has this sinking gut feeling that something is wrong yep and then he shows up to her house and she has tried to commit suicide by taking and he is all doing cpr goes. And calling 911. And, and like, that is how part two ends. And I'm like, yeah, fucking hell. It was heart-wrenching because he's talking to her and he is losing his shit. But obviously it was so much and it just. I think that the way that it ends with him thinking, what have I done? What the hell have I done? Is it's also so like, telling, Because he like, thinks that she just yeah. could not and get that, over. And that's another nail in the coffin where they keep internalizing guilt for things that they have no reason to have guilt over because obviously Cora made her choice but he again internalizing guilt that he has no ownership over but internalizing it anyway because he's like oh my god this was so bad oh I definitely pushed her to do this no well originally when part two ended and obviously that was Dean's point of view and part three picked up and it said it was going to be in Cora's point of view I kind of was like okay are they going to skip the hospital part again? And they're going to pick up two weeks later. I love- I was surprised that they brought it back. And I was like, oh, no. Are we going to have to go through all this again? And they brought it and had and we did thing in her point of view. And I, which I really liked because you could really see her internal struggle with everything because you get to see the And you can see the other trigger. Man. Yeah, yes. this is where you can see the- huge blowout fight with Mandy and just like everything compiling into one and it really puts you in the headspace of how and why she felt just so fucking helpless that she just literally wanted to die and it yep, was because Mandy finally confronts her Mandy's a over... piece and this is where Mandy was a giant piece of shit yeah Mandy so... finally after all this time Mandy finally confronts her after so regarding the, her own breakup and she was just so, pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and like you you don't do that and so she part, just like, ah. yeah part three opens up immediately after he gives her the money for the pill and storms out of her house so we see her going through her errands on the day and literally breaking down and having such a terrible day and then mandy shows up out of the blue with a peace offering tacos and i'm like how dare you how this is this is sacrilege on tacos how fucking dare you mandy just really shows her true form at this point and Ugh. you know learning that this is what happened sure you're gonna take into the fact she's gonna blow over the fact that dean was made to do it but she's gonna focus on the fact that they are sleeping together outside of mandy shows situation. up with because mandy still doesn't know what has happened between the two of in them. the basement and Which she shouldn't need to know right if they don't None of her share. business but have some fucking but, empathy jesus christ but mandy is still reeling from her breakup she's blaming cora and this is mandy's confrontation 
but she's doing it in a sly way of like, oh, I'm, I, I brought tacos to, you know, hang out. But I will Cora say is not stupid. Yeah, I will say right before Mainly shows up, she's been reeling all day. So Cora knows that she has some extremely unhealthy coping mechanisms and she is already in a super bad mental place, obviously, with everything that happened that day and like leading up to that day. But she says, I don't text him. I don't call him. I don't go near the bottle of wine in the fridge in fear of texting or calling him. So she's at the very least trying to stay sober and trying to like work through these feelings. And she even says, I can do this. But when my sister shows up unexpectedly, I almost faint because now she has to. She's tried so hard to work through her day, not allowing herself to fall apart and Mandy triggers the breakdown. It's literally the straw that breaks the camel's back is exactly showing up. So Mandy's sitting there like, Oh, well, I'm sure you already know about our breakup because she just assumes that Dean has told her. And she's like, well, it's all over Facebook. Duh. Yeah. But I'm sure you've talked to him. He's told you, right? Well, yeah. Oh, so you've talked to him. And she keeps getting her claws out, her cat claws out. And then, trying to reel them back claws come out trying to reel them back but it's so obvious how she's like digging doing it and then she's like yeah and she's like i need to know what happened dean said that you guys were forced to do things together and i need to know what it was just needling and, and needling and, and needling. She, yeah and just... she's just going and she's just getting yeah. hysterical and they get through dinner and she's like well no Cora doesn't even eat she's just yeah she's like Like, I appreciate you stopping by that was nice of you and she's like you haven't even touched your food she's like I'm not hungry I'll eat it for lunch small obviously trying to dismiss her after Mandy finishes eating and because she can see the way that she's yeah needling back and forth and can't control even her own and she's like I smile but I'm so about to start ugly crying right now I need her to go I need her to leave so I can deal with all this fucking shit and then she's like so what kind of fucked up shit were you trying to do? Very casually. It's like. She has no oh. tact. She has no fucking tact. Because she's so self-absorbed that she just needs to mm-hmm. know for her own reason. Because she needs to figure out if th- the stuff that they went through is why Dean's breaking up with her. Also kind of so she can literally blame her sister yeah. for their breakup. Like she is grasping at straws because I don't think she can understand the fact that. Dean went through his own shit and realized, like, he came to his come-to-Jesus moment, if you will, about, like, this is not the life I want. Like, the three weeks in there have really forced me to see what the fuck I was doing for the last 15 years, and this is not what I want. And she can't come to grips with the fact that he's a changed person, and this is not what he wants anymore. Instead, she's like, no, it's all about me, and now I need to know what the fuck happened because it is so clearly my sister's fault and I'm going to push her and push her and push her. And this is the part where she very clearly does not give a fuck about Cora at this point in time because Cora's like, I don't want to talk about it. It was personal and traumatic and I don't want to talk about right, it. Right, I don't want to go through it again. And then she's like, nope, I need to know. Something happened down there. Tell me. And she's like, nope. I deserve nope, to it doesn't know matter. This. She's like, nope, tell me. And it's like, oh my God, stop. Just please she has said no. She doesn't want to talk about it more than three times. Let it go. Yeah. So when Mandy finds out that they slept together, regardless of how it happened or how it panned out, oh. Mandy doesn't give a shit. So she, Mandy doesn't care the, the circumstances. She doesn't. She 
goes feral. So the reason why she goes feral is because she said, no, I'm not going to tell you. And that is when that text from Dean comes through and she takes her phone and she reads it. And she's like, what the fuck happened last night? Because he says last night was everything or something. And then she's like, did you fuck him? Still pressuring her about it to the point where she's like, Fuck, fine. You want to know? Earl put a gun to his head and forced him to rape me. She's like, she doesn't care was, the circumstances. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter to her. It's the fact that she touched her man. Mm-hmm. It didn't even matter if the last night had happened. She still would have reacted the same way mm-hmm. if she had found out what had happened in that basement. Absolutely. I, I Especially swear. because that last day is when things started to change. And she would have had to come clean about that too. I, I think that that's when the Cora's feelings of guilt started to resurface because that last day when they were in the basement, they had sex. It wasn't rape. It was consensual in their own sick way. But that's when it really solidified Dean and Cora's trauma bond. So Mandy flips out, obviously, goes nuts, screams at her, tears her down, slaps her across the face, says Tells all her kinds that- of nasty things to her. She doesn't want to see her again. She basically, what an awful sister she is. And the parents are going to disown her over this. Yeah. Basically, basically solidifying Cora's inner struggle about her family and her um, like, deepest fears of everything. I, that basically, was- saying that like everyone would side with Mandy, verbalizing not only Cora's insecurities, but also completely tearing down every single bridge between the two of them. Cora. This is her breaking point. She just, she, all of a sudden she gets this thought in her head that she didn't even really feel in the basement. And she just, she's like, I I just just don't want to be alive right now. Yeah. And she had not felt that before. She says all those weeks fighting so hard to live. And for what hell followed me home. It, It lives inside me, housing all my demons and ghosts and unforgivable flaws. Yeah, it was a rough and then that brings us to where Dean's point of view in part two kind of wrapped up. Um, yeah. And then, you know, she's in the hospital mm-hmm. afterwards. Her mom and dad are there. Mandy's there. I don't even want, fuck Mandy at this point. Um, yeah. She goes, Dean I, didn't, is she's like, I didn't know that this was going to happen. Bitch, really? Well, you literally you know. basically told her to kill herself. And then you're mad yeah. when she tries to kill herself. Yeah. But she's like, but this doesn't change anything. Yeah. I'm still mad at you. Yeah, I'm still. So after Mandy leaves, this is when she tries. And then she calls Dean. And Dean tries to bring her back to life. But she's so far gone at this point that we don't actually see her trying. From her perspective, we never see him trying to rescue her. She's just, like, gone. Well, we have those little snippets from the hospital that she hears the words while she's in out of consciousness kind of thing. She doesn't even wake up to Dean, and she thinks she's going to because of those in and out of consciousness while he's talking to her through the CPR and stuff. But Dean has been banned from her room because of Mandy. So once Mandy finally leaves, he can come in and see her. And then they have, you know... A little bit of a moment but dean is scared from his point of view he doesn't know about the mandy stuff mm-hmm. but from his point of view they slept together and then she tried to off herself like so mm-hmm. he really has now taken a huge step back and space and so then we have a two-week gap where we have to wait two weeks 
to see the next part of the book. And she's out of the hospital. She's just trying to cope with life. She hasn't really talked to Dean much because she doesn't really know what to say or what could be said at this point. Like, yeah, really, how do you start that conversation? And Dean is in the kind of the same boat, but her best friend, Lily, who we've kind of seen a little bit here, a little bit there, is there trying to coax her out of her pajamas and trying yeah. to coax her to get out of the house and I have mixed feelings on Lily yeah I didn't feel like she was super developed as a character no I, and I felt like her pushing her to go out too much was a little bit much for me so I just I, I ended up liking her towards the end but during this mm. whole portion I had really mixed feelings on how I felt about her as a person but again it is the lack of development with her I disagree I feel like once Cora gets back Lily's trying to get her to go out more that was her trying to do what she thought was best for Lily but then afterwards she was like okay every time we go out obviously does not go well and she rethinks to the point where one of the last times they hang out on page is she's like I thought you were going to a party and like I am and then she pulls the party's right you're the party right you're the party yeah like I just that's why I was saying I didn't have that problem I just felt like she was a little underdeveloped where We just didn't get enough of her character to really super flesh her out. But like you said, she was just her friend who was was not in the basement. So she did has no ability to fully grasp the severity of the situation. It's not like Cora's coming clean and telling everyone about everything. So she's only grasping at the straws she has. And she really is. She is trying to do what she can to help her friend in the only ways that she knows. So at this point, it's been weeks since the hospital. And she's like, no, I just really think you need fresh air. I think you need to get out of the house. Even if it's just with me, you know, just to kind of get out a little bit and we'll go home when you want to go home kind of thing. I don't feel like it was super duper pressured, but her going out, she did come across this guy who he wasn't necessarily meaning to be malicious, but he called her kitten and it just spiraled her right back. And she um, freaks out to a point where she's like, nope, I got to get out of here. And that yep. is when what um, Crystal was saying earlier, she, this is where that president comes in, where she's like, I need to get out of my own head. When was the last time that I was out of my own head? Right. I was sleeping with Dean. So she shows up. Exactly. Front so that, that, that starts, starts the this. Dean um, where she's kind of using Dean as a crutch. And, um, and it also starts Dean's spiral of he's learning that he cares truly for this girl and she's giving him scraps. And he's like, I don't know if I can even keep doing this because she's so hot and cold and she's bringing him Mm -hmm. in. And then as soon as they're done, she's pushing him away. And this really like kind of starts his brain thinking, I need to do something. And they go back and forth. For a little while until he finally confronts her about the situation and he's like I can't do this anymore and I like, think the big the biggest tipping point for him with it was when Cora asks him to tie her up and that like, oh yeah that, that's really, coming that's that, coming yeah because that, that, like, it's no that's coming in a bit but right, that, like, so that's okay yeah so he confronts her this is his first times really being like I I don't want to be used this way. Like I I care for you, but we need to not do this. I need you to take care of you kind of thing. And they learned that Earl had 14 victims in all seven couples, including them, but only 11 bodies were found. So it was, you know, obviously the two of them 
and then it should have been 12 bodies, but they only found 11. And it wasn't super duper mysterious at the time. They just thought maybe it was like an earlier kill and he might have done something different with it or something. You know what I mean? It wasn't a super big mystery necessarily. They had the names, they had all the details, blah, 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 until somebody speaks out and they find that there's an old victim of his that's alive. And at first, Dean and Cora are kind of like, is this real? Like, would they, he have Cora really was let somebody very, go? Corey was very she much was, on the, she's lying. There's no way that yes. this is a thing. Like, because again, she is still spiraling. She is still yep. not dealing with all the trauma, not dealing with everything. So she's like, no, so, this is not what happened. We're the only ones who survived. This lady right. is fucking lying. So like, once Dean kind of really puts the screws to her and really just makes her feel things she doesn't want to feel and makes her feel alone basically because he's kind of threatening to take her support system away she goes and visits this woman Mm -hmm. so this lady is named tabitha and apparently she tricked earl while they were there into thinking that she cared for earl even though she was falling in love with matthew her her matthew the his the other captive as well so even though it was devastating and heartbreaking to go through the entire scenario. And he still went through killing Matthew in front of her because she pulled on his strings the whole time and pretended to like him and pretend to like what he did with her. He could not kill her in the end. And he ended up knocking her out and just tossing her into a random place. And since this was in the early days and he wasn't like super honed in on what he was doing and how he was doing. He wasn't super confident in his abilities and she never knew his name. She didn't know that much of a description. And because she woke up in a random place when she told the police all about it, they didn't have a lot to go off of. So they weren't able to find him. So Cora and Tabitha forge a little bit of a connection and it brings a different perspective light to Cora to how things could have gone for her and that other people are dealing with traumas too and that not everybody's trauma is the same and that other people have tragedies too. It's hard sometimes when you're so into something and you're so in your own feels, sometimes it's hard to realize that other people are going through some of the same things. Which is a little bit ironic because this is exactly the arc of realization that should have happened for Mandy but didn't. Absolutely. So it was a big turning point for Cora. And it was her turning point to start trying. And she was trying to get out and live a little and work and get out there. And she was hanging out with Lily and hanging out with Dean. And Dean, even though he had confronted her, he was still keeping up with sleeping with her and being that comfort for her because she was on some level trying and he couldn't bring himself to let her go. But she was still struggling with the sister thing. And Lily made a good point in one of the scenes where she was like, Mandy wouldn't hesitate. Mandy would do it. In fact, mm -hmm. Mandy did do it. Mm -hmm. When Mandy went after a guy that, that you liked and had no qualms about scooping him up and sleeping with him, even though she knew you were eyeing him and liked him. Yep. And yeah, Mandy super sucks. But even though she's trying, she's struggling and she doesn't know 
I don't know if she's just not going to mandatory therapy or what. I don't think she is. Because Dean is. Or she is. I think she might have been going to therapy, but she wasn't really telling them anything. It was mentioned for Dean, but it was not mentioned for her at all, which I thought was a plot hole. I think that they briefly mentioned it after her attempt. Because even though after the visit with Tabitha, even though she was attempting to try, it didn't seem like she had the proper tools to be successful. So it was like she was spinning her wheels in the mud. So right after the Tabitha thing, she's like, avoidance has been my favorite thing. And that is the one super unhealthy thing that, you know. Yeah, she was avoiding her family. She was avoiding because those threats that Mandy made were so real in her mind, especially with her own insecurities about that situation. Mm -hmm. And it just kept building and building and building until like crystal you were saying her and dean were together and this is when lily shows up and then it's like mandy would have done it to you so are you gonna invite invite dean over so so they're in that position and what dean is giving her is no longer enough and it just it became such a boiling point because you know she is still not dealing with the trauma she's still not dealing with everything if she has a therapist she ain't fucking talking to the therapist and just everything is continuing to build up and then of course dean was already thinking like i can't i can't keep doing this back and forth i really can't and then she asked dean to tie her up and that really in the middle of them yeah, and so because that really sets it up just for wasn't him. enough with her. She was spiraling while they she were was, having uh, sex when usually that was able to take her out of her head and it just wasn't doing it for her. And anymore. and he is like, oh, I can't do this. Like this is not this that is was not his breaking the, that was his breaking point and he's just like, I can't see you suffer. And it was just an I love you enough, I need to go because we need I space. Am, I wanted to help you heal and it is making it worse. It's not healing you at all. If anything, it's just, it's making it so that you're basically putting a bandaid on the issue. You're not dealing with it. And if we, he's like, if we want to do this and we want anything to work, you need to work. We on both need to have first. clear heads. There both and... needs to be clear heads. And like Dean is putting in the work and he's, you know, he's quit drinking. Mm-hmm. He is doing the work. Core's just not, and he sees that, and he sees that this can only end really bad again if we continue on this path. And she is like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, she's livid because she's like, if you really loved me, like, I I can't sit We're, here and I'm, watch I'm, I'm you. giving us this, this, this. He goes, I'm leaving because I love you. I can't sit here and watch you destroy yourself. I he, think he that. can't do it. It was so fucking heartbreaking. It, I just felt for him, and the only way he knows how to help her is to leave. I think that also the way that, yeah, he was healing, but I think one of his many turning points. She kept dragging him down. She kept dragging him down. But one of his many turning points, the reason why he was able to really start healing is the way that he was, he talked everything out with his mom because Mm -hmm. he felt like he wasn't going to be a burden. But Cora never had that. She won't talk to her parents. She She didn't have a soundboard. She doesn't even talk to Lily because- she's like there's some shit and she wasn't even talking with dean either they were yeah they were quite literally avoiding everything that had to do with that because they didn't want to put themselves back in that headspace and he didn't want to push too hard because he's like this is hard enough i don't know how harsh i should be pushing i don't want to force her into trying to attempt again so she never had that moment where she got to air everything out so the 
healing process was stunted for her. And that's why it was so much harder for her to heal because she never actually gave voice to those demons, but he was able to expedite his healing a little bit more because he was able to talk about it with his mom. She goes to talk to her mom because, well, we'll skip the Mandy shit because I can't do Mandy anymore. Because once again, Mandy rides in at the perfect time when she's down and just kicks her again. And we're just going to fuck Mandy. But so Dean tells her after they have had space for a little bit, tells her that he has a job opening three hours away and that he is going to leave and that that is her breaking point that's why she goes to her mom to talk to her mom because she just she can't do it anymore she just is falling apart Uh, I so now we're going to fast forward eight months she was given eight months to heal and heal herself before the eight months I think a big turning point for her too was saying she had the conversation with her mom and Mm -hmm. it really put into perspective to Cora that her parents weren't really only right. Mandy, focusing on Mandy, her. Mandy, Mandy, yeah. It's just, they just, they want her happy. And they were having a mm-hmm. hard time seeing her struggle too. But they kind of understood like. Especially when she wasn't opening up. And that's yeah. the thing is they understood. I think that helped push her perspective into, okay, let's do the eight months and let's try to. Yeah, let's heal. Then, yeah. It wasn't think- necessarily an eight month mark. That's just what happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just like they, that pushed that's her when- into she she was doing well she was thriving and Cora and Dean just happened to run in, into each other oh eight God, months it was later. So- she tries to go back before he leaves and apologize and say hey it's okay like you take your time but he's already gone so she mm-hmm. like pulls up back to her house and she finds a blue envelope on tape to her door and it's a cute little note and he leaves the locket back on her because she had given it to him in anger when he said he was leaving Mm. so anyway they fast forward eight months they meet up and then like cute things happen and all this other stuff i so the epilogue is eight years later and they have to do a little okay nope you have to do a little math (laughs) i didn't like Um, that i don't like doing math no i think it does say it so the reason why you have to know is because the wording is it's november like when the book ends and it says that Mandy gets engaged that Christmas and they get married a year later and they've been married for seven years now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so you just have to do math. And it was like, but Crystal okay. likes it when it says it at the top of the chapter. I also like, yeah. we, we all, we all like that, but she's, that's why she's saying, I don't like to do math. There's that's what, of, that's what she meant by there that. There was a lot of unintentional math in this book. Like there was, was, there was a lot of mathing, especially for an English teacher. There was a lot of mathing. Yes. I, was I didn't like, like that. English teacher. It was baloney. Yeah. So epilogue eight years later, they're married. Mandy's happy married with her guy. Everyone's hunky dory. They have two kids, four dogs. They Which, go to by the, the way, it was so funny that his best friend is like, I got to talk to you before he proposes to Mandy. Because he's like, well, just because like bro code. And he's like, bro code. I literally am with her sister. <laughs> bro code's <laughs> broken by now. Yeah. Broke so every goal. year they go to the ocean and that's their vibe. And that's how. Also, can we so, talk about. And their, their kids are little date. demon spawns that do tricks on them. Like they used to. Yeah. Do oh my God. So good. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about their first date after the eight months because that shit was so fucking cute they like he gets like she gets super dressed up and he's like oh pick me up at seven oh wait no they both like strive that they're not going to sleep together on the first date and then they totally fucking do because it's them like (laughs) but um, 
it's just so sweet because he's like, oh, you know, we can do whatever. And at first he pulls up to the bar where they first met because, you know, whatever. And then he's like, that's ah. their local place. And that's like, just like where to go. Yep. And then he's like, actually, I got a better idea. And so they end up in this field and they're eating cheap fast, fast food. food. And she's super dressed up. And she's like, I'm overdressed for this date. And they just talk for hours. And it's so nice. And I'm just like, yeah. these people deserve everything. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. This book was so twisty and turny and making your emotions go this way and that way and not knowing who you were rooting for in this moment and that moment at times. But this was such an emotional read that I'm still trying to process everything. So all I can see right now is that the book definitely lived up to the hype. Like for me, it definitely lived up to that one quote that I read. It was definitely an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, and I literally texted Ariel last night and I was like, I'm emotionally destroyed. And I wasn't even very far into the book. Who's and your favorite character? Dean. Here's Dean, why Dean, I picked Dean. Dean. I loved him because his character development was so good. Was great. And the growth that he really showed was. and then the fact that he saw her struggling and was like, this is how I need to do this. And he had such a love of her. And of course, he had the respect of Mandy enough to be like, hey, I've changed. I can't do this. You will find somebody who loves you. And then it'll make sense to you why I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I really enjoyed Dean's character arc. I just liked him. So I, I really enjoyed his character arc. And that really sold him for me because especially in the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, he came on um, screen. I was like, Dean is a douche. <laughs> but I, yeah. I will say that I feel like if she had been able to be fleshed out as a true side character, I feel like I would have liked the mom. I agree with that. For me, it's so hard because I was that ugly sister that I just like, I felt such a connection to Cora and seeing her struggle and seeing her like make all these terrible toxic choices because she's at a point in her life. This is all she can do to keep going, keep surviving. It just hits different. It, it really does. Oh yeah. So character wise, she's probably my favorite, but my absolute yeah. fluff favorite was probably the doggies of the serial killer. I'm <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> so it's funny because it's funny because we have picked animals as our favorite characters before because the people in the book were terrible. I don't remember which was. But that's I not the is, only reason. But. No, <laughs> first but friend. they were great. How about everyone's least favorite character? Ready on three. One, Ready. two, three. Mandy! Mandy. <laughs> oh, you guys suck on the three All thing. right, go ahead. Let's do it Offer again. your after three. <laughs> One, two, three. Mandy! Mandy! We're fried. <laughs> that was worse. That was worse. Yeah. It's okay. fine. Mandy is like the Mandy. answer. Fuck Mandy. Why yes. can't we figure this out? It's okay. <laughs> we ask ourselves Why that daily. Why can't Mandy suck less? Well, you know, apparently she wants to suck more, so... Anyways, yeah, she does. That's not She's a euphemism. No, it is not. <laughs> that's not a euphemism. Oh, fucking hell. So, Goodreads gives it a 4. Oh, and Amazon gives it a mm-hmm. 4.6. I gave it like a full 4 on Goodreads and that's only because that's all I can give. I would probably sit it at like a 4.3 or 4.4. And that's just because there are some stuff in it that obviously I had an issue with. The story itself was great. There was a lot of really cool stuff in it. But obviously, like we always are going to have issues and nothing's ever going to be a full five star. I gave it a four star 
it was a good read. It was a good emotional read. Um, but some of the inconsistencies took me out of it. Whether they were intentional or not, they were not spelled out enough that it was obviously intentional. I think that's one of the reasons I also gave it a four. Hey, look at us. Obviously, this is not the way that this was written. It wasn't written with a miscommunication trope, no. but because of the way that the book was set up where mm-hmm. there was a huge chunk where we didn't get her perspective and then there was a huge chunk where we did and didn't get the other mm-hmm. perspective, like the disconnect, it really just gave me the same trauma feelings of when I read the miscommunication trope. And I was just like, I, I can't. But it was a really no, I don't, yeah. read. It yeah. was good. Yeah. And I can't give this a cucumber rating. In good conscience, I can't do it. I can't do it. Not the first third of the book. No. Okay, no. Their relationship, their consensual relationship. I was going to say, if you just count their consensual relationship, it is a struggle. I know it's hard to separate the connection because I feel like most of the scenes that we got were contentious at best. And even when we got their consensual thing, it was used as a coping mechanism rather that's what than I mean a, yeah, yeah it was it was yeah, yeah it was not so I, I don't think I can I, I didn't I, I don't feel like most of the scenes we got were healthy no. and so yeah. I, I kind of agree with you I can't I, I don't want a good conscience give it one it was there there you go how about yeah. yes there were scenes between Cora and Dean our MMC and our FMC there were not graphic scenes between Earl and Cora. So take that for what it is. Yeah. Perfect. It wasn't a lot of super graphic detail on that point. There wasn't anything kinky going on. There wasn't any scenes just to have scenes. So I would not call this a spicy book. On the level of spicy books that people are looking for that scale, this right. is an emotionally traumatizing <laughs> scale, but are Ooh, there we should probably have graphic like a, scenes? And, and yeah. How how uh, emotionally uh, traumatizing scale? I am a nine. I am very emotionally traumatized. This book no. was maybe like a. I would rate it a, a six on the emotional trauma. I was going to say I would rate it a four or a five on the emotional. I compared to what I have read and I what I know is out there. Well, thank you. So yeah, thank you. Much for oh, well, being along with us, tolerating our crazies. Yeah, I. It was. I have been a little, little cray, is, but you you wedged right in with us, and it's nice because we are a lot. We are a lot. <laughs>